Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, um, we have these uh, booklets, the Real Life Group Journals. Real Life Groups are beginning this week, and so if you're not in a Real Life Group, just uh, see someone at the information desk, and we'd love to help you get involved in a Real Life Group. And you can pick up one of these booklets, the Real Life Journal. In it, you have a term calendar. We have all of our Real Life Groups and where they are. Uh, we also have uh, over a prayer list that you can write out prayers for your Real Life Group members. Uh, we also have space for you to write sermon notes. And also, there is a reading plan. Uh, one of the things that we like to do at our church is read the Bible together. And so, uh, there's a reading plan that you can do every day so that as we study through the Gospel of John, you can also be reading through the Gospel of John for yourself. And there is a space in that for you to write your observations in. So make sure you pick up your real life group journal. And if you are a real life group leader, make sure you pick up a a bag of them so that you can give them out to your various real life group members. Well, man, I could listen to Dave Trulene all morning, Dave. I could listen to your stories all morning. It's just so great to have you among us here today. It's so wonderful, brother. You know, in a little under three weeks, Australia is going to be undergoing an election. And uh, we as citizens, we need to be informed, we need to know what's going on, and one of the big issues that's on the table at the moment is freedom of speech. Uh, University lecturer Dr. Marie Ray, she writes that freedom of speech, along with other rights, such as the right to vote and the right to a fair trial, is important because it is a key principle undermining a liberal democracy. She goes on to say, free speech allows citizens to discuss, debate, challenge, and criticize government actions without fear of punishment. It's the sign of a functioning democracy. And you know, if you've ever seen the movie V for Vendetta, (laughs) one of the things it says in that movie is, uh, you know, citizens shouldn't fear the government, the government should fear the citizens. You know, uh, many countries around the world, they don't have freedom of speech, and so the citizens are not free to criticize the government, and therefore, they don't hold the government accountable. Now, you would think that Australia, being a liberal democracy, we would have freedom of speech um, written into our constitution. But did you know that's not actually the case? Uh, Unlike the US, which has a Bill of Rights that says that freedom of speech and freedom of religion is actually uh, an inalienable human right, um, Australia doesn't have that. It's just presumed that there will be freedom of speech and freedom of religion. And so this coming election is very important that all of us get informed. We will be praying because the next government is going to write the laws that will affect freedom of speech and freedom of religion in Australia. I heard someone say that this next election has, has been, you know, one that's flying under the radar, but is probably one of the most important elections that there is. But regardless of what happens next month, um, I've got a question for you this morning. Here's a question for you. How free is your speech? You know, regardless of what the nation says about freedom of speech, how free is your speech? You know, I have to admit that I struggle to exercise freedom of speech. You know, I get into a situation where uh, I want to share the truth with someone. I want to share what's on my heart. And I don't know if you're like me, but I just really struggle. I struggle to get out what I want to say. And I walk away and myself and the other person are not better for it because there's still this thing that's in our relationship. 
I don't know if this has happened to you. You know, you come upon a group of people and they're talking about a particular issue and you just want to share what you think about that issue, but it's like there's this invisible wall that you can't get over. So I wonder how free is your speech? How free are you in, when it comes to speaking? Well, this morning, as we continue our study of the Gospel of John, we're going to encounter a character who was really free in his speech. In fact, he had the nickname, get this, he had the nickname, The Voice. <laughs> the Voice. And of course, I'm speaking of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was introduced to us last week as this man who was sent from God, who came to bear testimony to Jesus. And what we're going to see this morning as we study the life of John the Baptist is we're going to look at the character of John the Baptist, we're going to look at the reason for his character, and then we're going to see how we can have that character as well. So first, let's look at the character of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is quite a character, and he's introduced to us down in verse 19 of chapter 1. So look in your Bibles, and let me read it again. And this is the testimony of John, John the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed, and he did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? Now, there was this great prediction that before the coming of Messiah, Elijah would come. And John said, no. And then they said, well, are you the prophet? Now, in the book of Deuteronomy, had been, um, Moses had predicted that there would be this great prophet who would come. And he said, no. And then they said to him, well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, well, I am, what? The voice. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make stray the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, John the Baptist, he had caused quite a stir in Israel. Like an Old Testament prophet, John the Baptist had come in out in the wilderness and had been preaching a baptism of repentance, preparing the way for the coming of Messiah. And he's called John the Baptist because like us who are Baptists here, he liked to baptize people in response to his message. He liked to baptize them in the River Jordan. But he was quite a threat to the religious leaders and to their power in Jerusalem. And so they send this delegation out to interrogate him, really to intimidate him, but do you notice what it says in verse 20? Rather than being intimidated, it says that he confessed and he did not deny. In other translations, it says that he confessed freely and openly he spoke. You see, the character of John the Baptist is that John the Baptist was bold. You know, if there's, if there's anything that we need at this present moment, it is people who have boldness. People who will stand up and be bold under pressure. You see, what is boldness? But boldness is this. Boldness is the ability to speak the truth under pressure. And when under the cultural pressure of his time, when the religious leaders came and when they were interrogating, what did John the Baptist do? John the Baptist stood up and he spoke the truth clearly and plainly. You know, it's interesting that the Apostle Paul said that this was a hallmark of his ministry. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 2, Paul says that he refuses to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. So what that means is he refuses to dumb down the truth or to pull the bait and switch, saying, here's what it is, but it's really something else. That's not what Paul does. He says, but by open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's 
conscience. You see, if there is something that is needed at this moment, it is people who are bold, who are willing to openly and clearly and plainly state the truth in spite of the cultural pressure. But the boldness of John the Baptist is really, really surprising given what we read next about his character in verse 24. Look down in verse 24. The religious leaders continue their interrogation. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Now, this is probably, in the Bible, I would put forward to you that this is probably one of the greatest statements of humility in the whole Bible. You see, if you wanted to go anywhere in the first century, you had to walk. You didn't have cars or vehicles or buses. So if you wanted to go somewhere, you had to walk, and that meant your feet got really, really dirty. And so to clean or wash or touch someone's feet was just not done. A rabbi could not even ask their student to bend down and touch their sandals or their feet. And only slaves would do this. So do you see what what John is saying? John is saying, I am so low that I'm below a slave. I'm not even worthy to touch the sandal of Jesus. And this makes, this makes John's boldness very shocking. Now, let me tell you why it makes John's boldness very shocking. Because most people that we know, their confidence, their boldness comes from what? It doesn't come from humility. It actually comes from their arrogance, their ego, their pride. It's because they think they're better than other people. It's because they're more good-looking, more talented, and therefore that is why they're bold. That is why they're confident. And whenever their their sort of uh, pride or their arrogance dries up, then their confidence dries up. You know, I grew up in Maryborough in Queensland, and I grew up playing violin, and it's a very cool instrument, Jason. Most most coolest coolest instrument in the orchestra. That's what I told myself anyway. But... um, I grew up playing violin, and I was a very bold performer in Steadfords, which were violin competitions. And I would stand up, and I would boldly play the violin. But as I look back now, the reason why I was bold was because there wasn't many good violin players in Maribyrnong. And so, you know, in comparison to everyone else, I thought of myself that I was pretty hot stuff. But when I went to Brisbane, and there were all of these people who were just fantastic at violin, my confidence completely dried up, and I, I felt like I couldn't even play Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star anymore on the violin, because my confidence, my boldness was based on arrogance, was based on me comparing myself to others. And yet you see right here, John the Baptist's boldness is surprising, because while he's very, very bold, he's also extremely humble. Where does this type of boldness come from? where you're incredibly bold to stand up and state the truth in spite of cultural pressure, but you're also incredibly humble. Well, we've looked at the character of John the Baptist. Now let's look at the reason for his character. Why was John incredibly bold? Well, I put forward to you the reason why John the Baptist was incredibly bold is because he had a certain view of himself and he had a certain view of Jesus. 
Now look at, we've already seen that his view of himself is found in verse 27. He viewed himself as unworthy, but in verse 29, we see his view of Jesus. Look down in your Bibles. It says, the next day he, that's John, saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So John had a particular view of himself. He saw himself as unworthy, but he had this particular view of Jesus. He saw Jesus as the Lamb of God. And let me tell you, if you want to really be bold, be bold, be confident, be a bold, confident person who can state the truth, then you need the same view of yourself and the same view of Jesus. So let's dig a little bit further. Let's dig a little bit further and look at John's view of himself. As I've said, John viewed himself as being unworthy. Now, when John says that he is unworthy, it's not as though John had an inferiority complex. You see, there are actually two ways that you can say that you're unworthy. You can say, I'm unworthy, and you can mean, I therefore despise and dislike myself. Or you can say, I'm unworthy, and what you mean is, therefore, I forget myself. And one is destructive, and the other demonstrates Christian humility. You see, there are many people who think that humility is about beating up oneself. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've always considered yourself a humble person because in your self-talk, you beat yourself up. But I would put forward to you that you are just like a proud person. The emphasis is still on yourself. You're, just, you're, you're self-obsessed. You're, you're obsessing about yourself. Now, a truly humble person is someone who realizes how unworthy they are and therefore, they spend very little time thinking of themselves. The great C.S. Lewis, he wrote this in Mere Christianity. He said that if you were to truly meet a humble person, you wouldn't come away from that person thinking that they were a nobody because they were always talking about how they were a nobody. <laughs> but you would come away from that person remembering how interested they were in you. You see, this is because the truly humble person is not focused on themselves. As Tim Keller writes, he writes this, The essence of humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Let me say that again. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. You see, when it comes to Christianity, in Christian terms, Christianity is not about having low self-esteem. But guess what? Christianity is not either about having high self-esteem. Christianity is actually not about self-esteem at all. It's not that we love ourselves or we hate ourselves. It's actually that we deny ourselves. You see, there are actually three ways that you can be driven Firstly, you can be driven by what other people think about you. And some of you in this room, this is what you spend majority of your life doing. You spend majority of your life thinking about what other people think about you. And when other people think well of you, then your confidence goes up. When other people think not so well of you, your confidence goes down. So that's one way that you can be driven. Another way that you can be driven is by what you think about you. So when you think well of you, your confidence goes up. But when you think bad of you, your confidence goes down. But there's actually a third way to be driven, and that is by God's evaluation of you. 
And you see, the reason why John the Baptist can say, I'm unworthy, and then turn and be so bold in the face of the religious establishment is because he doesn't have too poor a view of himself, and he doesn't have too high a view of himself. In fact, John the Baptist has entered into the blessed realm of self-forgetfulness. I've wondered if you've entered into the blessed realm of self-forgetfulness. You see, John the Baptist says, I know I'm unworthy, but I know what God thinks about me, and that's good enough for me. His opinion is the only one that matters, and that's good enough for me. And because of that, I can lay down the burden of always looking at myself. I wonder, have you laid down the burden of always looking at yourself? You know, it's so exhausting to be consumed with yourself. To be thinking about yourself, thinking what other people think about you, thinking about what you think about you. Have you entered into this blessed realm of self-forgetfulness? You see, this is the secret of John the Baptist's boldness. The secret of John the Baptist's boldness is he says, I am unworthy. I am unworthy of all my own attention. And so I no longer focus on myself. I actually focus on someone else. You see, the key to boldness is having a low view of yourself and a big view of Jesus. The key to boldness is having a quiet view of yourself and a loud view of Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God. So we've looked at John's view of himself, but now let's look at his view of Jesus. John sees Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But what does that mean? Well, it means two things. You know, when we talk about Jesus being the Lamb of God, we are saying that Jesus is our substitute and that he is our voluntary substitute. You know, this here is a very old story that has a rich, rich history. The very first time in the Bible when we see a lamb is we see it in Genesis 22, where God said to Abraham, I want you to take Isaac, your only son, and I want you to offer him up as a burnt offering. And on the way up the mountain, there is this poignant moment where Isaac turns to Abraham and he says, Father, behold the fire and behold the wood, but where is the lamb? And Abraham says, God himself will provide my son a lamb. And then they get to the place where the offering is going to be made and He builds an altar and he straps Isaac on the altar and he's just about to offer his only son and you'll remember that God says, Stop, Abraham. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Raise up your eyes and there in the thicket there was a lamb and that lamb was offered in the place of Isaac so that lamb died so that Isaac didn't have to. Then you fast forward a few centuries and you come in Israel Uh, to Egypt where the people of Israel are in bondage under Egypt and Pharaoh will not let God's people go. And so the last plague is that God is going to send his angel of death to, to kill all the firstborn in the nation. But God says to his people, what I want you to do is I want you to take a lamb and I want you to take a spotless lamb and I want you to slay that spotless lamb and then I want you to paint the blood over the doorposts so that when my angel of death sees the blood, it will pass over so it dies so that you don't have to. And you get this all the way throughout the Old Testament was all these different little stories all about these lambs that would die and be sacrificial. 
And you get this, you get this, this is awesome. John the Baptist is standing there that day and by divine revelation, he sees it. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now I get it. The reason that Isaac didn't have to die is because God did himself provide a lamb. He provided his only son. The reason why the firstborn didn't have to die in Egypt is because God put his firstborn forward as a sacrifice, as a substitute. And John the Baptist says, behold, the lamb, look, here is the lamb of God, the substitute for us. But have you ever wondered this? Why is Jesus the lamb of God? Why isn't he like the bull of God? You know, bulls were offered. Bulls were offered in Israel. Why is he the lamb of God and not the bull of God? Well, the reason why he is the lamb of God is because the unique thing about lambs is when you come to butcher them, they don't buck you off. They don't scratch you. And in Isaiah 53, it says, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, silent before his shearer is done. Jesus wasn't just our substitute, he was our voluntary substitute. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when he came to realize what was going to happen on that Friday when he would be crucified, he sweat drops of blood and he prayed to the Father three times, Father, take this cup away from me. And when God said no, Jesus said, Father, well, not my will, but yours be done. And he went to the cross voluntarily for his disciples who were doing what at that moment? Who were sleeping. He went to the cross for rebels like you and like me. And you see, when you behold the Lamb, when through the eyes of faith the penny drops and you realize that he loved you that much that he would die for you, it blows apart all of the self-obsession that we have. All of the self-obsession that we have where we're judging and comparing ourselves with other people and trying to base our sense of self upon comparisons with other people or with, with our own comparison to ourselves, it blows it apart and we start to realize we are completely unworthy. The only person you should compare yourself to is Jesus and you realize you're completely unworthy. Completely unworthy to stand in his presence, but yet this one who you're completely unworthy to stand in his presence he died on the cross for you so that you wouldn't have to spend eternity without him. And here's the thing, everybody, is I don't know whether we meet too many people who are like this, who are like John. It says that he was so unique. You know, if you were ever to meet someone like this who was just beholding the lamb and not caught up in self-obsession, then you know, what, you know what these people would be like? These people would be the most approachable people you would ever meet. Because even though they were confident, when you come to spoke, speak to them and give them feedback, you know that they don't believe that they are better than you. And so you would feel comfortable to offer them feedback. And besides, they'd probably say to you, is that all you're going to tell me? I mean, I'm way worse than whatever you share with me. I'm way worse than that, and Jesus has covered it all. But these people are not, just, are not just approachable, they're also resilient. You can share 
things with them, and then it's not going to crush them because they're not looking to themselves to get their sense of self. They're beholding the lamb. That's where they get their sense of self, and they're incredibly fearless to speak the truth. You know, John was an incredibly fearless leader. He went up to the face of King Herod, and he opposed him. I want to be a leader like that. Where does it come from? It comes from a particular view of yourself and a particular view of Jesus. That you see that you're unworthy of all the attention that you've been given, giving yourself. But only he is worthy. Only he is worthy of your worship. You behold the lamb. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And your whole life is consumed with the lamb. They're bold people, and they're humble people. And it's the most attractive thing. All of the great preachers from the past had this dynamic in their preaching where they were bold and yet humble, authoritative and yet gentle, powerful and yet weak. Amazing. And the thing that set the early church on fire was it wasn't just preachers who were like this, it was people who were like this. They had this dynamic among them of complete transparency and weakness and yet strength because they were beholding the Lamb. So how can you have this character as well? Well, maybe some of you need to take seriously the words of John 1 verse 12. To as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Maybe some of you need to cross the line this morning and become believers in Jesus. The great Martin Lloyd-Jones, he used to have a question that he would ask people to see whether they, where they were spiritually. He would, he would ask them, are you a Christian? And if they said to him, well, I'm trying, then he would realize that they probably haven't got it. Because it's not about trying. It's actually about trusting. It's about resting in Jesus, the Lamb of God. And then how do we, how do we maintain that focus? We we keep on beholding the Lamb. That's what church is about. Church is about coming into this place and beholding the greatness of King Jesus. That's what singing corporate worship is about. It's not about whether you like the songs or not. It's about beholding the Lamb. So let's see if we can't do some igniting in your heart. Maybe you need that, that, that penny to drop again. This is the gospel. I loved what our brother said this morning about the Psalm people and how the gospel is penetrating the Psalm people and their culture. But let's not be so foolish to think that the gospel doesn't need to penetrate our culture as well. We live in a culture that is very self-obsessed where you get your identity from the, vertic from the horizontal from looking at others. We need to get it from the vertical, from beholding the Lamb. Beholding the Lamb. Let's stand together. Let's behold the Lamb.